I kind of want to give just a quick definition of what disciple is. And the, the standard definition for disciple is someone who follows the practices and the teachings of another. It is a follower or, or a learner, and it refers to someone who takes up the ways of someone else. When this is applied to Jesus, a disciple is someone who learns from him to live like him. Someone who, because of God's awakening grace, confirms, conforms his or her words and ways to the words and the ways of Jesus. You know, I knew about Jesus, but it wasn't until I made the decision to walk with him that I realized that he was God. There is a difference between just believing and actually being a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, it wasn't until I was willing to leave all other gods behind that, that Jesus became a reality to me. And so I want to talk about what is it going to cost to be a disciple? What is the cost of becoming a disciple? What is the cost of discipleship itself? And so I split this up into four points uh, just to make it practical for us and just to help us to remember just uh, four basic things that, that God revealed to me about what it's going to cost you if you want to be a disciple, if you want to take this next level step in your walk with Jesus. And so the, the first point is this, that discipleship will cost you your idols. Discipleship will cost you your idols. So like I said, it wasn't until I was willing to leave all other gods behind that I truly became a disciple and experienced some fruit in my life. It wasn't until I left all other gods behind that Jesus entrusted himself to me completely. Why do we rid ourselves of idols? And the answer is, the answer is very simple. And it is that Jesus demands our full allegiance. Let's go to Matthew 6.24. And it says like this. And this is Jesus speaking to the disciples. And he's speaking, I know, to some other people that were around the disciples. And he says this, that no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will stand by and be devoted to one and despise and be against the other. And then he says this, that you cannot serve God and mammon, which means deceitful riches, money, possessions, or whatever is to be trusted in other than God. This is what Paul says about idols. In 1 Corinthians 10.21, he says that you cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. One of the biggest reasons why discipleship costs us our idols is because we become like the things that we worship. Keep that in mind. A disciple is someone who is, is taking the road to being conformed into the image of Christ. And like I said, we become like the things that we worship. 
I heard Tim Keller give a definition about worship the other day. And he said that worship is this. It's the words worth and shaped. To be shaped by the worth, to be shaped by the worth of something. Or you could say that we are shaped by the things that we give worth to. So if we give worth to Jesus, we will in turn be shaped like him. We will be conformed to his image. So I want to ask you this morning, what is it that you have been giving worth to? You can open up your bank account. That's a clear indicator of what you give worth to. So ask yourself, who who have I been imitating and what is it that I've been being shaped by the worth of? Is it social media? Is it TV? Is it money? Is it a career? Is it anxiety? Is it yourself? Remember that there is no such thing as a self outside of God because he created us. Did you know that even the desire for an answered prayer can become an idol when we elevate it to a higher position than we do Jesus? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The goal is to give him worth so that we can be shaped like him. The goal of a disciple is to become like his teacher. And I know that sometimes we faith we 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 have faith but we face certain struggles with sin, certain situations in our lives. And I know that many of the times we ask ourselves why isn't Jesus entrusting himself to me in this area of my life? But what we should really ask ourselves is, have we rid ourselves of all other idols? Have I burned all other idols? You know, anything we put before God, demonic, non-demonic, it all has the potential to be a dark influence for us. And if we aren't being shaped like Jesus... We have to ask ourselves, are we really giving him the worth that he deserves? I was reading in Jonah the other day, and this is such a great example of someone who um, had an idol who wasn't, that wasn't really something that was demonic. it It was something subtle that became an idol to him, and it was his own righteousness, his own self righteousness. And this is what Jonah says in the belly of the well. He said that those who cling to worthless idols turn away from the love that God has for them. In other words, they forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But in this moment, he repents and he says, But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will make good and I will say, Salvation comes from the Lord. We can only get salvation from God. We can't get it from idols. So turn away from them and Walk into the grace that God has for you. Because every time we turn to an idol, we forfeit the grace that could be ours. So how do we burn these idols? And very simply, we do this. We take an inventory of ourselves and we ask ourselves, what have we given our energy to, our resources to, 
our attention to, and then we make a conscious decision to redirect all those things back to God. Remember, he's the only thing of worth, so let's allow ourselves to be shaped by him. Point number two is this, that discipleship will cost you your image. Discipleship will cost you your image. And so I'll talk a little bit about my image before. It's kind of funny, but I'll talk a little bit about my image before, uh, before I came to Christ. I remember uh, in, the, in the few small moments of freedom that I had between going in and out of prison, uh, I, uh, I remember I would, I had this little beat machine and I would make music and I, re- my image was like, man, I'm going to be this rock star. I'm going to like make millions of dollars. I'm going to do all the drugs I want for the rest of my life and give Marcy child support or whatever she needs. <laughs> like I'm going to be good. But the reality was that my true image was, you know, that of a drug addict, that of a criminal, that of someone who was just opposed to all things toward God. And so let's be honest, it wasn't really hard for me to give up my image. You know what I mean? Let's be honest about that. But maybe you are someone who finds themselves on the other side of the spectrum. Maybe you have it all together. Maybe you have the job, the car, the house, the family from the outside looking in. It looks good, you know. Maybe that's your image. Um, I have a friend. She may or may not be the head of the worship team here at Kingdom. She is. But I was speaking, I was speaking with her the other day, and she told me that um, she had been working at a bank for, what, like five years, Christian, right? And she, like I said, there was, there's security in that. But she said, well, one day Jesus just told me to quit my job. And see, even in her walk, even though she had been walking with Christ, she was called to give up her image in that moment. And what did she do? She knew the cost of discipleship, and she followed the voice of the Lord. She discerned the voice of the Lord, and she said, you know what, God, this job does not validate me. What you tell me to do is what validates me, and so that's what I'm going to do. And so this is what Paul says about image. In Philippians 3, verses 4 through 8, he says, Although I myself might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more, circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness that comes from the law, I was found blameless. This is the part I want you to listen to. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. And more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. We must give up what we think our life should look like. You know, I'm always reminded of the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Uh, 
It says that she had suffered at the hands of many doctors, that she was ill for years and years and years, that they had tried everything they could to try to heal this woman and that there was no healing in sight for her. But when she heard about Jesus, that image of being sick, the image of being unclean, she stripped herself of that image to go and pursue Christ. She knew the cost of discipleship in that moment. And what was the result? She was healed. She was healed. You see, when we give our image up, Jesus gives us identity. And see, image is just a perception of what we think we look like. But identity is the concrete truth of who Jesus says that you are. The greatest example of someone giving up their image was Jesus himself. It says this in Philippians 2 verses 5 through 9. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He stripped himself of of his image, taking the form of a bondservant, And coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. He made himself of no reputation for the glory of the Father and for our salvation. When we strip ourselves of our image, we have an opportunity to make ourselves of no reputation for him. He does, and what does he do for us in that moment? He does the same thing that the Father did for him. He exalts us. He exalts us. And remember, he gives us not just an image, but the concrete truth of who he says that we are. So how do we allow discipleship to cost us our image? Very simply, we stop caring about what people think about us. We, we, we start caring more about what Jesus says about us. We worship louder. We raise our hands higher. We pray for people in public. We have a willingness to speak about Jesus in public. We start living in the truth of who he says that we are. Live in the identity that he has given us. And we read God's word to understand who we are through a biblical worldview. And we become doers of the word. Like James says, he said, someone who is just a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word is like someone who goes to the mirror, looks intently at themselves, and then as they walk away quickly, forget who they are. When we become doers of the word, we will never forget who God has called us to be, we will never forget who he says that we are. Amen? Amen. Point number three is this, that love, discipleship will cost you love. I'll say that again. Discipleship will cost you love. You know, nowadays we have this very 
just terrible idea of love. We, we feel like we, we base it solely on emotions, but true love is not just an emotion. True love, it encompasses action, our time, our effort, and our resources. It will make you willing to give up your life for someone. It's not just an emotional thing or a feeling. And we'll go back to the example of Jesus. Jesus, the one who was in the beginning, he came and he took on human flesh. He lived his entire life and ministry knowing that he would be slaughtered in the end. And what was his motivating factor through it all? His motivating factor was love. It was love for the Father, love for us. True love will conform you to Christ in his willingness to forgive, in his willingness to lay down his life, and in his willingness to go and glorify the Father. True love is going to make you lay down lifestyle, opinions, preferences, all for the sake of Jesus. True love is based on action. And if we truly love Christ, we will obey him. And if we truly love Christ, we will love one another. So I want to split this up into two, love for one another and our love for Jesus Christ. Let's talk about our love for one another. John 13, 34 says this, a new commandment I give you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Again, discipleship. If you have love for one another. So look, if we truly love one another, we're going to prefer one another. We will forgive one another. Did you know that our love for one another is the first thing that the person who's still in the world sees? Our love for one another is the first thing that the outsider looks at. Jesus tells us this in the verse. And yet, Sunday morning is still one of the most divided mornings in the week. We have over 45,000 different Christian denominations, 200 in the U.S. alone. And what's sad is that sometimes I've seen more unity in secular causes. I was just watching a pro-choice thing the other day, and they were more united in, in that uh, issue of abortion then we are united at the church. And it was just, it just blew my mind. And, and God kind of revealed to me that, you see, that's why people are more prone to joining secular causes like that. Because at least they're in one mind and one accord with each other in that. But we, I mean, we're supposed to be part of the greatest and most relevant movement in the history of the world. And yet we can't get along. We allow ourselves to be divided. Because we don't want to forgive. Because we harbor offense. Because we love gossip. (laughs) Because we prefer ourselves than the other person. And we often say to ourselves sometimes, you know, I'm not going to church because such and such didn't say hi to me. The message was too long. That guy, Armando, you know, 
you name it. You know, there's, there's so many reasons why we don't come to church. And I was reminded of Isaiah 52.5 where Isaiah is prophesying to the, to the children of Israel. And he says to them that the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And he's saying that to the Israelites. Well, the same can be said for us. The same can be said for us. Sometimes the name of God is blasphemed amongst the world because of the way we treat each other inside of the church. I read in a Tony Evans commentary on that scripture, Isaiah 52, 5, and he says this, that we must live in such a way to, as to help people grasp God's righteous character. And so ask yourself, have I been living among the body of Christ in such a way as to allow others to grasp the righteous character of God? I ask, I'm asking myself that question too. I'm preaching to myself. We are to be and must be his love letter to the world with our lives and with the way that we are united and the way that we love each other. One of the greatest examples of, that I could think of, of, of true love is my wife. You know, there was, there was a point in my life, in my addiction, where she had every right, every reason to leave me. But the truth is, is that if her love was just based on an emotion, <laughs> she would have left me a long time ago, right? But see, her love was not just based on emotion. It was based on time, effort, and action. She forgave me when I needed to be forgiven. She held me accountable. She gave me second chances. And that's the way we need to be with each other. I guarantee you that I was thinking about Paul where he says that knowledge will come to an end, prophecy will come to an end, but love never ends. It never ends. And so we, if we have something, if we have that kind of love with each other, we can produce in today, in the modern church, something that is infinite. And so how do we allow discipleship to cost us love? First things first, we allow the perfect love of God to cast away all our fears. Our fear of rejection, our fear of hell. And so let's talk about our love for Jesus. Jesus says this in John 14, 15, and it's very simple. Memorize this verse. Memorize it. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Very simple. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus wants us to express our love to him through obedience because obedience sums up everything we are to do to remain close to him. Prayer, fasting, abiding worshiping he wants us close to him that's why he wants us to obey it's not because he's some tyrant it's because he wants us close to him and because he knows that if you obey him you're going to experience a life of joy and a life that's full of abundance jesus says this the spirit gives life and the flesh counts for nothing the words i have spoken to you the commandments that i've asked you to to keep Everything that I've told you, they are full of spirit and they are full of life. 
And so I want to use myself as an example, like how I, I've used obedience to uh, express the love of God. You know, I've been sober for about four years. And even to this day, there's not a single day that I don't think about using heroin. There's not, there's not a single day that goes by that, I don't, that I'm not tempted, that I don't think about this thing. But you know what I found out? Is that in those moments when I am tempted to do those things, I have a chance to tell Jesus, Jesus, I love you more than that. I love you more than this lifestyle. So temptation isn't just an opportunity for you to sin. It is also an opportunity for you to express your love to Jesus. Look, if, if you grasp that fact, if you grasp the fact that temptation isn't just an opportunity for you to sin, but also an opportunity for you to express your love for God, I promise you, I promise you, I mean, look at me. This is going to be a, a game changer for you. It's going to make it so much easier to leave behind the things that you still need to leave behind. It will change your perspective on obedience because we don't, many of us obey just because we're afraid to go to hell or because we want an answered prayer. But sometimes we, we just obey for those reasons and not because we love him. And so let's obey him because we love him. Again, we allow discipleship to cost us love. How do we allow discipleship to cost us love? First, we allow the perfect love of God to cast away all our fears, our fear of rejection, our fear of hell, our fear of the future. Listen to this. We reorganize things in our lives so that we are not the only ones getting the benefit. We ask ourselves who and what is in control of our feelings. We forgive. We give our time. We give more resources. We serve. More than that, we endure God's commands through obedience. If we obey Jesus, all of the above will fall into place. Amen? Amen. The last point that I want to give you, and this is the the heaviest one, um, and it is discipleship. Discipleship will cost you your life. Discipleship will cost you your life. Let's talk about that. In Luke 9, verses 23 through 24, Jesus speaks to the disciples and he says to them, And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. How many times? Daily. And follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself some other versions say his soul so we must die to ourselves we have to die to ourselves what do i mean by that i mean that we must die to our desires we must die to our own will we must die to our preconceived notions maybe you've grown up in church your whole life and you have an idea of god we must die to what we think we know about god more than that, 
we must be truly willing to die for him. And I don't just say that in spiritual terms. I mean, if someone came in here today and said, deny him or die, we have to truly be willing to die for him. You know, it wasn't until I was willing to die that Christ allowed me to experience the power of his resurrection. Everybody wants to experience the power of resurrection, but nobody wants to die first. When I died to my will, he gave me his will. There's no way around losing your life. There's no way around surrendering every aspect of your life to the reign and the rule of Jesus Christ. There's no getting around it. If you truly want to follow him, there's no way around getting around him. Every one of the disciples were called to let go of everything that they were. Did you know that since the beginning of time, he's chosen you to give up your life? If you're here at Kingdom, if you're here listening to this sermon, he has chosen you. You know, we always remember Romans 8, 28, um, what is it? For all things work together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. But no one wants to remember Romans 8, 29, which says this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, to the image of his life, his ministry, and his death, and his resurrection. We all want to be conformed to Jesus in his life, but nobody wants to be conformed to Jesus in his death. And we have to be. Everybody wants to share in the glory. Everybody wants to evangelize, heal the sick. Everybody wants to spread the gospel, but nobody wants to follow him to the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed so hard that he was sweating drops of blood saying, not my will, but your will be done, God. A brother told me the other day that Everyone wants to follow Jesus up until the moment they know where he's going. And that's to the cross. You know, in the same way that he was born to come and to die for us, we were born to come and to die for him. We shouldn't just want to share in the glory. We should also want to share in his humiliation. Paul said this, that the goal in his life was to know him and the power of his resurrection. But he didn't just say that. To be conformed to him in his sufferings and to be conformed to him even in his death. When I gave up my life, it's funny because when I gave up my life, you know, Jesus gave me everything I desired. He gave me my family back. He gave me a career He gave me everything that I ever desired. But what's funny is that, and I say this in the most loving way possible, that those things in comparison to the knowledge of Christ do not even matter. He's the only thing that matters to me. And so what is the benefit of giving up our life? The benefit is that if we die with him, we'll be raised with him. 
You'll get to partake in the power of his resurrection. You'll get to truly know him. So let's follow him to the cross this morning.